it is so helpful to have people in your corner who won't tell you what you want to hear, but will tell you what you need to hear. People that, you know, love you so much that they're willing to be honest with you and people who also, you know, have experience that you don't have yet or maybe never will. Hello and welcome. I'm Kate and this is the Freelance Founders Podcast, where we talk to creatives who have designed their own careers. We're so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible journeys with you. Welcome to the Freelance Founders Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with the founder of Third Ritual, Jen Tardif. Jen, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. First, we would love just to hear from you. If you could just take us through your career. I always like to preface that with the fact that, you know, my career has been pretty medium agnostic. I I started in hospitality in Toronto. I moved to New York to work for a very early stage tech startup. And then by way of an acquisition, worked for, you know, a tech giant. (laughs) So kind of both ends of the spectrum. And that's what I did, you know, before eventually venturing out on my own. Was there ever a moment when you wanted to quit, like in your career? Daily. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of embarrassing, but I think hindsight is always 2020. And when I look back at the early years when I was so green, I, I was really bad at the political aspect of work culture. I was just so naive. And I think I thought that most companies operated like meritocracies. And, you know, that wasn't the case. But luckily, I think especially since the onset of the pandemic, there have been some major shifts in terms of work culture and how things operate. But yeah, in those in those early days, that was one of the things that I struggled with a lot to the point that to answer your question more succinctly, yes, I, I toyed with the idea of quitting so much so that eventually I did, <laughs> which, you know, on paper might have seemed like a pretty bizarre move. Depending on where you grew up and how you grew up, the word quitting was like so looked down upon. And I think that reflecting back even in your own career or my own career and realizing the times that I did want to quit and I either just persevered because I grew up in the household of you don't quit. It is a positive thing now to say no. And I think setting those boundaries, I would love to get into your new business, your business, Third Ritual. When you were starting Third Ritual, what was your biggest inspiration for the company? I'm a big fan of giving attribution wherever I can trace it and source it. And there's this quote that I reference a lot from uh, Muriel Barbary, who wrote The Elegance of the Hedgehog. And she's talking about tea in this case, but it could be about anything. And she wrote that when tea becomes ritual, it takes place at the heart of our ability to see greatness in small things. And I think that whether it's something that is really simple or really small, it can still be very sacred. And that was sort of at the heart of this whole endeavor. It was, you know, really born from almost what felt like, not to sound too cheesy, but it really felt like sort of like a duty, you know, to be in service to something that had supported me so much. And I kind of felt like if everyone had a little bit more of this meaning, or you can call it, you know, mindfulness or connection to the divine in their daily lives, then they would also find more beauty, more enjoyment and presence, which is the ultimate self. 
Amazing. Could you just tell us a little bit more about Third Ritual and what it is for those that aren't familiar with it? Absolutely. Yeah. So our offering is equal parts, tools and techniques. We create physical objects like a bell candle where you put pins in the candlestick and as it burns, they fall in it. So it uses sight and sound to measure time. And it can be a really beautiful way to end your sit so that you're not tethered to a phone. And instead you have this pin that drops and sounds sort of like a Tibetan singing bowl. Or, you know, a lot of people will just light it at like a dinner party or while they're working and it reminds them to adjust their posture, come back to their intention. So that was our debut tool. And and since we've expanded into apothecary and we have a line of aromatherapy products, we released a tool for self-massage recently and and reflexology. And then we have a couple of, of fun things in the works on the tool side. And then that's always been married for us with this reverence for the techniques and the teachings that are kind of required to participate. So whether that's a simple acknowledgement, you know, of the shoulders that we stand upon when we participate in these traditions that have a deep cultural and, and, and historical context, or just infusing what on the surface can seem like a simple act with the knowledge of breath control or how to help soothe your nervous system as a way to mitigate stress. You know, I've spent a lot of time on the website and I, well, one, I love the tools. I love the candle and the the candlestick that holder that you have with the bell. I think that was so cool, but also just the intention that you have just around your ethos of your brand is so beautiful and it's really refreshing. So we've talked before on routines and rituals, an event that we did for freelance founders a while back. I would love to hear from you. What do you think is the difference between rituals and routines? This is a question that, as you know, I get asked often. And so I've tried to kind of refine my my answer over the years because I do want it to be something that is accessible. Like I think sometimes people feel a little shy about even calling something a ritual because it might not look like that that is depicted on, let's say, goop. And I'm really of a non-dogmatic approach where anything counts. And yet, you know, the difference I, I'd say between routine and ritual is is really intention. Because when you approach something like to use the Muriel Barbary reference, like making tea in the morning, if you approach that with reverence and intention, and it's this act that sort of symbolizes something that's for you, from you, and maybe saw screen, like with before you've even touched your phone, it's an opportunity to just check in with how you're doing and how you're feeling. Like that can be a beautiful ritual. But I think it gets into routine when you're sort of moving through the motions. Like if you've ever driven somewhere and then you get there and you're like, wait, I don't remember turning left and then turning right. Like you're just sort of on autopilot. And it's sort of like the spectrum. Like if every time you repeat an act, it can be an opportunity to refine it. And that's in the ritual camp. Or it can be an opportunity to kind of check out and be mindless. And then that to me is more in the routine camp. Do you think that routines can then become a ritual? I think it depends. I think that, again, it it really is about the doer or the seer and their perspective. Like two people could be, you know, walking through the park and having polar opposite experiences, right? So it ultimately, it begins, I think, with the seed of intention, which is the choice to 
see and understand and maybe even receive. And that can be noticing the nature around you or your breath and just sort of acknowledging like the passage of time and the cyclical nature of all things. But it's also so easy to tune out to that. And so, you know, we have so much stimulus, like constantly begging for our attention that it really does have to begin with someone making that decision or that choice to say, I'm going towards. What are some of the rituals you practice every day? And what does the day in the life look like for you? As you know, I'm, I'm a mom, so <laughs> it's not all serene. And I think that's always important to surface. You know, I don't like live on the top of a mountain, just meditating. I'm in New York. I'm like in the fast stress lane of it all. But I really try to practice what we we preach at third with these really tiny, tangible tools or, or moments throughout the day. Those shift with each season. But right now, as I speak to you in summer, I've been gravitating towards Julia Cameron's She's famous for the morning pages, but that doesn't work for me with a, a young kid that I need to get ready. So I've, I've kind of switched it to evening pages. So just doing some stream of consciousness writing every night can be a way to empty my brain before I go to bed so that I don't do what I was kind of getting caught in before, which is like my head hits the pillow and all of a sudden I have 20 thoughts running through my mind. And then I do, you know, it sounds like a shameless plug, but it's it's true and real. A lot of this stuff that we put out was born from our own community and these really tried and true years of, you could call it R&D, but really just like use and practice and reverence. And so I do use our blends. And right now, um, because I've been in the sun a lot and I want to like keep my tan and moisturize my skin, I'm, I'm using our earth blend because it's a really thick, rich moisturizing cream. And, and again, you can, it, it, you know, can be a few minutes and it's not like, a big ordeal in part because my life doesn't allow for it to be, but I do deepen my breath and I do try to be kind to myself as I apply the the cream so that I may be saying something that's a little more gentle to my body <laughs> in that moment. Emptying your thoughts on page. That's a really important ritual. I know at night now I've started getting into, I'm starting a new business and I'm, I also have my other consulting scene business. So my brain is just constantly going. So I started doing meditation in bed right before I go to sleep to like help ease my thoughts because my brain just doesn't stop even when I'm sleeping. And I really relate to you writing down your thoughts before you go to bed just to empty your brain because I've noticed such a huge difference. And it's like now definitely part of my nighttime ritual, like getting into bed and listening to a meditation. How do you balance being a mom and being self-employed? Oh, I'm still struggling to figure this out. <laughs> you know, this is like the part of the interview when you're speaking to someone else where like my ears would perk up because I'm constantly, I feel like it's like a living, breathing experiment, you know, because the moment that you find balance, it's like then there's a switch in the routine or the school or someone gets sick and you know it's just there's it's if, if it's not something it's it's something else and yeah I just really am trying to normalize the fact that you know I don't have it all figured out and I'm sort of in the messy middle of it right now where I've noticed that there's sort of like a pendulum where the more that my daughter needs and the more that like the amount that I have to care for her ramps up my self-care ramps down and 
that's so counterintuitive to everything that I've studied and I know. And yet I recently read Jesse Klein's book, I'll Show Myself Out. And it's so funny and so great. And I recommend it to anyone who's a mom because she'll make you laugh and cry in like the same three pages. In that book, she talks about how to mother as a verb is sort of like always being in service. And it was a really nice reminder that there will be times where your tank runs empty and then the best thing that you can do for your child is something for yourself. (laughs) And so that's sort of where I'm at right now, where I'm kind of giving myself permission to, you know, maybe go and have a drink with a friend or do those things that can seem like almost frivolous and almost like rewire my (laughs) definition so that it's, I see them as vital. What would be your top three tips for someone who is looking to create a morning or evening ritual? I think my three tips would be set an intention, start small and be kind to yourself. I love the start small tip. I think that that's so important because, and we spoke about this during our event a while ago about how finding that what works for you and Maybe it's not just sitting down and meditating all of a sudden for like 10 minutes, which is a really long time for some people to meditate, you know, and finding the thing that works for you, whether that's doing breath work or just taking a big breath when you're starting to feel overwhelmed, that in itself could be almost its own ritual. So Jen, what does the future hold for third ritual? Well, we always have a new tool, at least one or a few in development, they take us years to create because for the most part, they're inventions, you know, and so there's a lot of trial and error in creating them from concept to execution. Um, But we have one that'll be launching this fall. That's our first foray into like a wearable tool. And um, I don't want to say too much because the team would kill me, but (laughs) because we're trying to release it intentionally as we always do. But I'm really excited about this one. Um, And it feels like, you know, just something that I think the world could use right now. We also have really been ramping up our virtual offerings. That was one of those silver linings in the pandemic. We had never done anything virtually. It had always been in person in terms of our gatherings and the retreats and the workshops that we would lead. And since we've moved to doing them over Zoom, we now have a, a really beautiful global community that's formed. And so we playfully like to call them School of Ritual because it's really part movement, part creative practice, and then also part self-improvement, you know, that requires self-study and this idea that, you know, it's never a failure. It's always a lesson to kind of cultivate more of an abundant mindset. And so I'm really excited about that aspect of the business because we get to work with you know, our community in real time to help them feel a little bit more at home in their own skin. And we've started doing them for companies and teams as well. And that can be a really nice way to disrupt the Zoom fatigue and give people some really tangible techniques that will support them as they navigate everything that's being thrown our way right now. It's like the idea of putting your own mask on first. I love that. I think it's, I'm really excited to see what those look like. And also for your new tools, I think that I'm just excited to see what you guys have in store. So what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Oh my gosh. I don't think she'd listen. 
but <laughs> I would probably give my 20-year-old self the same advice that I would give my future 40-year-old self, which is to trust your gut. And I mean that both literally and in the sense that all great sages, no matter what lineage, they all really say the same thing, which is that the greatest wisdom lies within, but so often we don't we're not tuned into it or we don't trust ourselves enough or we're worried about hurting someone else's feelings. And that is what often can get us off of our own path or to maybe even do something that doesn't go in accordance with our values. So I think just, you know, trusting your gut. That's a good one. You know, I feel like so many of us tend to go against it when you're in your twenties, like you just don't listen so much internally. You're not so in tuned. Well, I was definitely not in tuned with myself in my 20s. What are some of the boundaries you set for yourself to maintain a healthy work-life balance? Compartmentalizing is helpful, but one of the biggest shifts that I've tried to adopt really in the last few years has been uncoupling the notion that success is purely linked to financial success, you know, that there are other metrics that can validate and sort of prove the concept that it matters, that it's meaningful, you know, and I think that like one of our mainstay mantras is that things that matter take time and it's easy to get caught up in the like Instagram facade of it all where you see these like venture back businesses that seemingly like skyrocket overnight. And you're like, wow, what am I doing wrong? But that's not my path. You know, that's someone else's. And I don't know what the future will hold exactly for third. I think, especially with the pandemic, we were all sort of humbled in that way. And so I really try to set almost like a mental boundary where if I notice myself going down that scarcity mindset, whether it's about money or status anxiety or the comparison trap that I will literally say, nope, not that. And then I try to just find the next right thing, whether that's something that we are in control of that can feel really creative and really authentic. And there are the real constraints of needing to make money. And so that's also why I think we've been really mindful about the pace at which we grow so that I I do consult and I do work for other companies simultaneously. And I just, I think that that's important to like peel back the curtain in that way, because sometimes we can glorify like, oh, I'm going to start my own thing and I'll never have to work for anyone again. And it's like, well, depending on, you know, the route you take, that might not happen in year one, two or three. That actually takes me into my next question. A lot of people don't end up going out on their own or starting their own businesses because of financial reasons. How did you approach your financial strategy when you decided to start your own company? Yeah, so I was I mentioned when I was giving you a bit of a summary of my career that I'd been very early at a tech startup. And so we had a wonderful exit in the sense that it was acquired by Adobe. I went in-house there for a few years, but was able to essentially cash my stock out at the time of leaving. And so that's how I funded the first run of Bell Candles and the Moon Lotion, which was our first apothecary. Again, I was very naive. Like we set a budget and we blew past it because the cost of 
producing goods is is high, constantly fluctuating, and there's a lot of trial and error that goes into the development before you get it just right. We did a, you know, a seed round uh, with just friends and family where we raised a little bit of money, but again, not nothing like major. It was just enough to have the capital to, you know, be able to actually produce the products. And then once we did, we've been very old school about it. Like, you know, it's been profitable since year one, largely because I'm sort of allergic to gambling or like the idea of being in debt. And, you know, that is not always a strength. Like there have been times where, you know, we're sold out for months on end, but we really have been trying to take whatever profit we make and then funnel it back into the business so that we can keep making more things and bringing really talented and creative people onto our team. It was a choice that we we made early on. And I don't know if I'll have a different answer in five years from now, but that's where it is at this moment. And it feels sustainable and it feels less scary. So that going back to listening to your gut, that's how I know it. It's sort of the right way for us to finance the business at this time. That's a smart way to finance the business. There's so many different routes you can go when it, when, and this is what I'm learning right now, starting my own new business. And it's hard not to compare yourself to your competitors or other companies out there because you see them scaling so quickly and you don't really know what their situations are. Also, I think really speaks to the type of values you have in your company of just going slower, not rushing. You even mentioned all the testing that you do with your tools because you want them to operate the way that you expect them to and help people. That doesn't happen overnight. So it makes a lot of sense with what you're doing from a financial side of the business to really complement the way you're building and, and creating these new tools and apothecary and even like techniques that you're sharing with people. Thank you for mirroring that. I appreciate that because that's the part of the business that you don't always talk about. Like that's not something we share on Instagram and yet it does, you know, make its way into all facets. Like you, we, we couldn't put out an offering without trying to also simultaneously restructure and rethink the way that this could function. Like we don't even call ourselves a company. We call it a collective and that's very purposeful as well. You know, it's like the um, sort of biomimetic approach to business where we look to nature as our guide. And so like a school of fish or a flock of birds, I think everyone that has a hand in this, we're moving towards the same thing, which is like a more connected and hopefully mystical way of being, but you can't preach that and then turn around and make decisions that are purely monetary, <laughs> you know, like that just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense. And frankly, I don't think it would be sustainable because I'm actually very, very here for the amount of discernment that I think consumers now have, especially in this, the wellness space. And I'm, I'm grateful that there's been a shift. My last question for you is what is the one piece of advice you have for anyone starting their own company? I would say create a board of trusted advisors. And it doesn't matter how small your business is. Like even if you're going to be selling things that you make in your kitchen on Etsy, like it is so helpful to have people in your corner who won't tell you what you want to hear, but will tell you what you need to hear. People that, you know, love you so much that they're willing to be honest with you. And people who also, you know, have experience that you 
don't have yet, or maybe never will. And I think that that whole girl boss myth, like good riddance, because that perpetuates this notion of like perfectionism, which is false. And, you know, I said earlier, when you asked me about being a mom, like, I do not have it all figured out. And I am not all things and I never will be. And so I think letting yourself off the hook and that, you know, I hope that I never age out of being able to say, I don't know, or I need help, or what would you do? That has been, I think, my saving grace that I'm here to learn. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to learn from people who've maybe forged their own path. And so I have a a bunch of strong women and, you know, my partner who's a man as well, like just, you know, in my corner. I think that that is such a huge piece of advice to create that support system and also having either even other founders that you know it's like it's a community it's it's kind of like that collective that you were talking about that you have for a third it's so beneficial to learn from one another and to learn from or to be educated by one another and to have that to have those conversations whether they're fun or hard or i always believe that it's one of those things where you have to have those mistakes and learn from them in order to really find the excitement and the good mistakes, you know, and I appreciate your thoughts on that. And thank you so much for being here with us today. That oh, was my pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on and I enjoyed the conversation. I have so many questions for you, but I'll save them for another time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Jen. It was such a fun conversation. 